0: Hi, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us. In 2005, we at the Franklin Church of Christ spent several lessons taking a look at the Jerusalem Church and all the things that made them so successful. One of the problems, however, is taking a look at those keys, we could sometimes miss exactly what it was that made Jerusalem successful. In this lesson that you're about to hear, we want to clarify that Jerusalem vision. We want to make sure that we understand exactly what it means to be a church like Jerusalem. So open your Bibles to the book of Acts, and let's learn what that Jerusalem vision really is. You've heard me say it before, and I guarantee you that you will hear me say it again. I believe perhaps the most successful congregation... In all of history is the church of Christ that was in Jerusalem at the beginning of the days of Christ's church. And we've spent several lessons this year taking a look at keys that helped make them effective. And we've learned that that they were continually devoted to worship. They were one heart and one soul. They were united. They aggressively dealt with problems. They lost no one in the crowd. They knew that nobody could do everything. They were bold in the face of rejection. They didn't rely on free agents. And we've, we've taken a look at all of those in depth. And because of all of those things, there's that final point that they set the world ablaze. Now we're not going to have a lesson specifically on that point because that's basically just, that's the way it is when you're doing those other things. But I do know that sometimes there's a little bit of a problem as we take a look at this Jerusalem vision. That, that's my vision for this congregation is that we'll be like Jerusalem. And I hope as we've gone through these series of lessons at various times throughout this year that I've been able to encourage you to have that same vision for this congregation as well. However, in talking about various aspects of the Jerusalem church, I've also learned that at times the wrong things can get emphasized and that sometimes the vision is just not all that clear. And so this morning I wanted us to take a look again at the Jerusalem church and I wanted us to clarify this Jerusalem vision. What exactly is this Jerusalem vision? Because we can take a look in the book of Acts and look at various things that that are successful or are indicators of success and perhaps miss the point about what it is that we're striving to be. And so that's what I would like for us to discuss this morning, clarifying that Jerusalem vision. What is it that we should be seeing for our future as we're striving to be this congregation that Jerusalem was? Before we get into that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Holy and reverend Father in heaven, we are in awe of You and humbled in Your presence, and we're thankful that You allow us to come here to open Your Word, to study and read it and learn from it, to sing praises to You and edify one another, to pray to You to contribute to your work and to participate in that sacrificial meal the Lord's Supper, reminding us of the great mercy and grace that you've demonstrated to us. Father, we pray that we are good stewards of the blessings that you've given us as a congregation. That we can take the Word that you've given us and teach it wisely and fervently. That we can take the talents and the abilities that you've given us and use them to spread your kingdom. Father, we pray that you would be with this congregation. Help us to be as Jerusalem was to... Focus on growth and spreading your gospel to others and bringing others to you. And help us to glorify and honor you in that way. Father, we pray that you will strengthen us to walk in your Spirit, to bear the fruit of your Spirit, and that we can draw others into your family. Help us to follow in the footsteps of these churches that you've told us about in your Word. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Because of Acts chapter 15... Folks have often looked at Acts chapter 15 and verse 2 and had the idea that the Jerusalem church was the mother church. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 2 it says, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, that is the brethren who said you had to be circumcised, "...the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue." There are a whole lot of people, even among brethren, that take a look at Acts 15 and get the idea that, oh, Acts 15 demonstrates that the Jerusalem church was the mother church. Paul and Barnabas were sent by Antioch back to Jerusalem in order to find out what they were supposed to be teaching about this matter of circumcision. And that that because the apostles were there, they led the way. And that has become pretty much the proof text for folks that, that believe in denominationalism and that kind of structure that one church might be over other churches. But as we take a look, we need to clarify that vision because that is not the vision of the Jerusalem church. In fact, when we look at Galatians chapter 1, we find out something about Paul. Galatians chapter 1, as he was writing to the churches in Galatia, beginning in verse 11, Paul said this, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation from Jesus Christ. And it goes on to describe his dealings with the apostles. Paul points out, I didn't get this gospel from the apostles. I didn't have to go back to the apostles in Jerusalem to get this gospel. And what that points out to us is that in Acts chapter 15, Paul was not going to the mother church, Jerusalem, to the apostles that were over all the churches, to find out what to teach. Why was Paul going back to Jerusalem? Acts chapter 15 and verse 24, I think, explains it clearly. In Acts chapter 15... And verse 24, as James and the elders and the apostles there at the Jerusalem church wrote this letter to the Gentile churches, he says in Acts 15 and verse 24, "...since we heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls." Why did Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem? Not because they were trying to find out what they were supposed to teach, but because people that came from the Jerusalem church were teaching error. And Paul and Barnabas were sent back to what they were afraid was the source of that error to find out what was going on in Jerusalem. And they had a great deal of debate there, and the Jerusalem church had to come to terms and come to agreement because they had a division there and they didn't even realize it. And they had to come to terms with the truth on this matter. But Paul and Barnabas, they knew what the truth was because Paul had received revelation from Jesus Christ. They didn't go back to Jerusalem as the mother church. Well, what then is the vision? If Jerusalem was not a mother church, what was it? Why are we going back and looking at them? Because Jerusalem was an example church. And as we take a look at the Jerusalem church, as we want to be what they were, we've got to understand that the vision is not being a mother church. This is not about us becoming some kind of great powerhouse church that wields influence over other congregations and tells them what to do. This is not about us growing enough to be able to support missionaries and evangelists at other places and telling those churches how to run their business. That's not what this is about. But what we see in Jerusalem is that they were an example. They were a congregation that for most of the time, the churches around them could look to them as examples and see how a congregation ought to be run. That's really why it was so important for Paul and Barnabas to get back to Jerusalem. Because there were so many churches that were looking to Jerusalem. And if Jerusalem was allowing this error to be taught, that you had to be circumcised to be saved, imagine how many churches that would have influenced because of the example that Jerusalem set. So as we're looking at our future, as we're looking at the Franklin Church and we're wanting to be like the Jerusalem Church, we need to understand this is not about being a mother church. But it is about being an example church. Being a church that folks can look to and say, boy, we, we need to be doing what they're doing because look at the success they're having. Look at the work that they're accomplishing. Look at how they are glorifying and praising God and we need to be doing what they're doing. Do you think we can do that? I hope so. Brethren, that's, that's one of those times when you're supposed to say amen. It makes me feel better, like you actually agree with me. you think we can do that? Yeah, okay, good. Thank you. That, that helps me out a lot. The second thing that we think about, one of the things I'm very vocal about is the size of the Jerusalem congregation. I hear lots of people today talk about how much they love small churches. And I guess if you like small churches, that's fine. I I can't make you change that. But one of the things that amazes me about the Jerusalem church is is their size. They started off, according to Acts chapter 2, they started off in Acts chapter 2 with about 3,000 people. Isn't that phenomenal? And then by Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, the text says, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That's the number of men. That's not counting the women and the children. That's not counting all the widows. About 5,000 men, that means there could be up to 10,000 people, maybe twelve or 15,000 people at this time in the Jerusalem congregation. And I like to point that out. And I have a vision that we can have lots more people than we have, but sometimes the problem is folks take a look at that, and they think that the Jerusalem vision is being 10,000 people. And that's not the vision at all. 10,000 people was actually just an indication of the real issue. As we take a look at the Jerusalem vision, he clarified, it's not about having 10,000 members, it's about having constant growth. What amazes me the most about Jerusalem as we read through the book of Acts is that whether they were having times of peace or they were having times of prosperity or they were having times of trial and tribulation, it doesn't matter. The Jerusalem church was growing. When they had problems within the church, they overcame it and they grew. When they had problems from without the church, they overcame it and they grew. Amazingly enough, in Acts chapter 8, there's a persecution that started and just about everybody but the apostles and a few others were scattered outside of Jerusalem. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 21, James is able to say to Paul, look at the thousands of people who are here in Jerusalem, the Jews, who fear God and have accepted Jesus as Savior. They were growing constantly, continually, and that's the vision. The vision is that we don't allow anything to limit our ability to grow. We're not going to allow the building side to grow. You don't know how many churches allow their building to limit their growth. They are so in love with their building, they built it. Have we got a nice building? We certainly do. Just about everybody that ever comes in here, UPS guy comes in here, um, you know what they say? Man, you got a nice building. Sometimes, uh, what is it, Battleground Academy that's down here? Uh, you know, sometimes they'll use our parking lot for some of their special things and, and you'd be amazed how many of them uh, need to come in and use our facilities and they'll knock on the door. The very first thing they say is, Wow, what a nice building. We've got a nice building. We can love this building. But when we fill this building, we better be ready to leave it. And that's, we've just got to come to grips with that right now. We better be ready to leave it because it's not, this building is not worth limiting the growth of Christ's kingdom just because we really love this building. Leadership style. The way we delegate and work. None of those things should limit our growth. That's not to mention some of the attitudes and mindsets that can sometimes limit growth because we want everybody we convert to be just like us. You know, upper middle class. We shouldn't allow that to limit our growth because there's lots of lower class folks that, remember what Jesus said, it's the poor that will really be interested in the gospel. And we need to be willing to get that out to them. And so we shouldn't allow anything to limit Our growth, but constantly and continually growing. We've got right now, I'm not sure the exact number, but it's it's just right around 140 members. And basically what the Jerusalem vision is, is that we need to have 141. And then when we have 141, the Jerusalem vision is we need to have 142. And then 143. And continue to grow. That's the Jerusalem vision. And I believe we can do that. What do you think? Amen. Very good. Very good. Number three, as we continue to look at this Jerusalem vision, one of the other things that I'm I'm always vocal about and I always go back to the Jerusalem church about is that congregations need to have more than one full-time worker. And we'll take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, about verse 10 or verse 11 And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And we recognize that He gave some roles where folks are are fully devoted to the work of serving the Lord. And that there needs to be more than just one or two of those in every congregation. And we recognize as we go back to Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch had five teachers... That's not counting necessarily who they had as elders there, but just there were five that they had as full-time teachers in Acts 13 and 1. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that, that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And we look at Jerusalem and we recognize that they started off with twelve. They had the apostles that were there as full-time workers for the Lord, evangelists in the body of Christ. And sometimes people hearing that had the idea that the Jerusalem vision is having enough hired hands to do the work. And that is not the Jerusalem vision. The Jerusalem vision is not having hired hands to do the work. The Jerusalem vision is to have all hands working. The Jerusalem vision is to recognize that in the Jerusalem church, it wasn't just the apostles that were working. It wasn't just their evangelists or their their deacons or their their elders. It was everybody was working. And what's really amazing is that when you get to Acts chapter 8, We just mentioned a little bit ago the persecution that came up and sent everybody scattered. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 it said, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the Word. The apostles, the evangelists, stayed in Jerusalem. But all the others were already equipped to go out teaching. You see, they had all hands working. We look back to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we find that they were all ministering to one another. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 43, "...everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place for the apostles." In Acts 2 and verse 44, "...all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they, were, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart." Praising God and having favor with the people. What were all the members of the Jerusalem church doing? They were ministering to one another. They were serving one another. They were helping one another. They were getting together and worshiping God with one another. They were teaching one another, obviously, as they studied God's word, and and then they praised God together from house to house every day. What do we find? It wasn't about having enough hired hands to do all the work. It was about having all hands working. And we go back there to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we notice something very interesting. Why were the churches, Why did Jesus establish apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers? Verse 12 of Ephesians 4, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. These official roles were given in order to build up all the Christians to do the work of service, to be doing the work of ministry. And so the Jerusalem vision is not is not having enough hired hands to do the work. It's about having all hands working. And we need to be able to get to a point where I can walk up to you and say, here's the kind of church we are. We're an evangelistic church. What are you doing to help us be evangelistic? And you, you be able to say, I'm an inviter. How many did you invite this week? Three. Or you'd be able to say, I, I'm a prayer. How much time did you spend this week praying that the church would grow? I spent, I spent 30 minutes yesterday and, and, and an hour of the day before, or however long you want to... Uh, however long. But to be able to say, this is what I am doing. I teach a Bible class. I invite folks. I've been calling sick. I've been visiting the shelter. I've been doing this. Can you really say, here is what I have been doing more than just I've been showing up at some of the services? Because at the Jerusalem church, that was the issue, having all hands working. But now having said that, we still recognize that while they had all hands working, they did have folks who's more than one or two or a handful of people who were fully devoted to the work of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, we've already read it. It talked about the, the elders, the evangelists, the apostles that Jesus had established. We look in Jerusalem, they had twelve apostles. They were evangelists, not to mention the others that they had set up as teachers. Philip is called the evangelist. We know Stephen became an evangelist. In Acts chapter 13, we've already read about in, in Antioch how they had the five teachers all these full-time workers that they had. And so we take a look at Jerusalem and we'll, we'll constantly come back to these 12 apostles, 12, 12. 12 and folks have the idea that, well, that's, that's somehow the magic number. That's the vision of the Jerusalem church to be big enough to be able to support 12 uh, evangelists. The issue is not that you would have 12 evangelists, but that you just have the needed workers. We need to recognize that while we're getting all hands working, we still do have Ephesians chapter 4 that says there are supposed to be folks in official capacity that are all about training and equipping everyone else to be doing the work. And one of the things that we have to realize is we have more and more people within the body. There's going to be more and more need for more folks who are fully devoted to that work of equipping and training, whether it be elders or evangelists, but but fully devoted to that. Not just part-time, but fully devoted to equipping the saints. And the issue is not that we have a set number. The issue is we have what we need. We take a look at our modern world, one of the things that we have to realize is that we're not living in the same world we were living in in the 50s. And you know, we could probably spend hours just talking about all the differences and the things that have changed in the past 55 years. But you know back in the 50s, you could have a congregation that had three elders and one preacher and 500 members and pretty much everybody would be taken care of. You have a few people slipping off, but it just doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, Gone are the days where you can have a full-time evangelist, a couple of elders, and a few handful of volunteers and get most of the work that the church is needing done, done. We've got men are working more hours. More women are working outside the home. We've got a whole lot more extracurricular things that are taking place. Our speed of life has increased and it basically takes a lot more organization on the volunteer front to get the work done. Along with all that's happened over the past 55 years, there are a lot more spiritual problems that are going on. Uh, you know, I, I think back in the 50s, there was the idea that if I have a spiritual problem, for a lot of folks, it was, look, I've just got to buck up, get in my Bible, read it and get over it. Whereas today, folks have the idea that, no, I've got a spiritual problem. Everybody else needs to stop and come tend to me. Uh, I mean, It's changed. And certainly, folks need to tend to those who have spiritual problems. But the outlook has changed, and it's changed the structure of how many people we need working. And one of the things that means is that we're going to have to come to grips with needing these full-time workers that can equip and train and fulfill this aspect of the ministry. We look in Acts chapter 6, and we see the apostles there in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. Remember, they were, the widows were in need, but the apostles said, we can't deal with that. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, they said, we've got our job that we're working with. We devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, there was, there was meeting people that were full-time devoted to that sort of thing. And we've got to learn that we need to have the workers that we need. And as we grow, that number's going to grow. But I'll give you a great example. Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, Barnabas had been sent by Jerusalem to Antioch to help out with the church there. And in verse 23 of Acts 11, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he, verse 25, Acts 11, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You see what Barnabas did? Barnabas took a look around and he said, we need a worker. And he even knew which one they needed, and he went and got him and brought him in. And they didn't sit back and say, well, we've already got folks from Cyprus and Cyrene who've come in here. We've already got two Barnabas. They, they went and got him and brought him in. And we need to be able to have that mindset that the workers that we need, we're going to get. And whether it's from bringing folks up from within the congregation, which that's already one of the keys that Jerusalem had. Remember, they didn't rely on free agents. Or sometimes it might be that there's the Paul out there that we need, and we know that that's, that's the one we, we need to be willing to go get him and bring him in. That's that's the Jerusalem vision. Not 12 evangelists, but having the workers that are needed. We've also talked about one of the keys in Jerusalem being the fact that they, they knew that no one could do everything. And so we, we've talked about the fact from Acts chapter 6, delegated labor. The apostles had their job and they said you need to find seven men within the congregation to take care of, of this work with the widows. And so there were some men that were devoted to that. And, and We've recognized that folks need to take a look around at all the work that's out there that needs to be done and find their niche and work on that. And sometimes, as we talk about all that organization and that delegation, that distribution of labor, folks have the idea that the Jerusalem vision means becoming more and more like some huge corporation. Or you have the elders that sit up as the as the board of directors over the corporation and they're just assigning tasks to people and, and as, as it becomes like that it becomes more cold and separate and, and we we don't come in contact with people because they're not in our little niche and they're not working on our job and we're afraid that well, folks are just going to get lost in the huge behemoth of a corporation. The reality is, when we take a look at the Jerusalem church, despite the organization, the delegation, the distribution of labor that they had throughout 10 to 15,000 people, they were not a huge behemoth corporation. That wasn't the vision. The vision was a closer-knit family. I want you to take a look again at Acts chapter 2. I want you to keep in mind here in Acts chapter 2 that according to verse 41, there was immediately about 3,000 members. And now we begin reading in verse 42, "...they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer." Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. And you look in Acts chapter 4. Beginning at verse 32, Acts chapter 4, remember they've got already at least 5,000 5, men. That could mean about 10,000 people. And in Acts chapter 4, and verse 32, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to Him was His own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it to the apostles' feet. Here's a congregation of 10,000 strong. Does that sound like some huge behemoth cold corporation? Sounds like a family to me. And they were able to find family within the congregation. Not that any one person was family with all ten to 15,000 people. That would be impossible. But they were able to find family within the congregation as they met from house to house with one another. And, of course, we could talk about all the things that helped with that. Maybe some of the things that we need today is to slow down a little bit and realize that all the things we're involved in, we don't really need to be involved in. But that's another sermon. These were able to find family and connection in the congregation and find work in that congregation. And they were able to be close-knit. Again, not that anyone was close to every person, but everyone had people they were close to within the congregation. And there was nobody that was sitting there saying, oh, how awful it is, I don't know everybody. Oh, I'm getting lost in the crowd. Because they didn't just commune with one another in the crowd, but they were together with one another in their circles of contact. And that's that's the vision for us. That we can find family within the congregation and be close knit, even if we're not close to every member. As we continue, we recognize that the Jerusalem vision, especially from this passage that we've just read, there are a lot of folks that reading Acts chapter four, verse thirty two through thirty seven, have the idea that the Jerusalem vision is one of communism. I I don't know how many times I've heard people say, oh, look, that that church there, it was a communistic society. It was just like communism. Everything they had, it it just belonged to the group. That's just not true. That's not the vision at all. In fact, you look in Acts chapter 5 and verse 4, Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. You notice what Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira? He said that property was yours. And when you sold it, the money was yours. And you had the choice to do with it what you want. That's not communism. Communism says nothing is yours. Everything belongs to the group. But back in Acts chapter 4, it said that everybody considered, considered nothing as belonging to them. Everybody looked at all their own property and viewed it as how can I use this to help the larger group? That's not communism. That's sacrifice. Because it was their choice. They got to decide. You didn't become a member of the church and one of the requirements was sign over all your property and possessions to the apostles. But there were some people that were willing to do a lot of that. They sacrificed. And that's the issue. The issue of looking at my stuff and viewing it as being there in order to serve God and glorify His people in whatever way I can. And it's not just about stuff. It's not just about money, it's not just about material things. It's also about time and talent. You remember 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 10 through 11? 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 10 through 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter points out that whatever abilities we have, we're supposed to be using those, sacrificing ourselves to the glory of God and to serve His people. That's that's what we find here. And that was the vision of the Jerusalem church. Not communism, but sacrifice. Being willing to look at what is mine and realize it's not mine. It's here for the good of others, for the brethren. You think we can do that? That's the vision. And finally, as we take a look at this vision, we need to recognize that the vision is not one of being problem-free they're being willing to overcome problems. Because we look so often at the Jerusalem church and look at all their successes, oh, look at this and how, they, how well they did this and all these great things, sometimes people get the idea that, well, it would have been nice to be back in Jerusalem because they didn't have problems. And, you know, if they had, had all the problems that we have, it wouldn't have been so good for them. But we've got problems. No, Jerusalem wasn't problem-free. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, they had the persecution problem. In Acts chapter 5, they had the hypocrisy problem with Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 6, they had the partiality problem with the Hellenistic widows. In Acts chapter 15, they had doctrinal problems as there were folks teaching you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. The Jerusalem church had problems. They had lots of problems. But what we see in the Jerusalem church is that they were willing to work to overcome their problems. I'll tell you, if there was one thing the Jerusalem church had that we don't have today that probably made this easier is the fact that they didn't have the... East Side Church of Jerusalem. They had the Jerusalem church. And that's it. And because of that, if they had problems come up, they didn't have any place to go. They didn't have some other church to go run to to hide from their problems. They were either going to be a part of the church or they weren't. Now today, for better or for worse, especially here in this area, we have got all kinds of churches. And how easy it is for folks when something happens that they don't like, something comes up that they don't appreciate, things don't go their way, to just pick up and run. Now I recognize that there's going to come a time, there will come times, in which because of unresolvable problems, because of issues, I can imagine at Jerusalem, if the church there was going to demand that you teach circumcision for salvation, there would have been a split. I recognize that there are going to be times when the painful decision to leave and go someplace else is going to occur. But you know, it needs to be a painful decision, not a manipulative or vengeful or first-option decision. It needs to be one that takes time because if we're going to be like the Jerusalem church, we've got to be committed to overcoming the problems. Again, like I said, I know there might be times when the problems end up being unresolvable. And like Paul and Barnabas part ways. But that shouldn't be option number one. We need to be committed to overcoming those problems. That's the Jerusalem vision. And so when we have problems come up later this year, next year, what's the vision for us? Are we going to hang in there and work those problems out? Think we can do that? I think we can. That's the vision. The question is the same as it's been with all these lessons, if not us, who, if not now, when? When? This is the kind of church that we need to be. This is the kind of church that we want to be. And this is the kind of church that we are going to be as we continue to grow. And we remember Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. In Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21, Paul wrote, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a colossal calling for us. This is is a huge vision. It's not easy, and it's something that we can look at and say, oh, man, that's tough, and I'm not going to be part of that. We need to realize that we're not in this alone. This is not just about us. If it was just us, we couldn't pull this off. But we're with God. And God working through us, just like He worked in Jerusalem, can accomplish far more than we can ask or think. What that means is we need to be asking and thinking big. And that's why this is our vision. And I hope this will continue to be your vision as we look to our future, what this congregation is going to be like. I hope this lesson helped you understand what the Jerusalem vision really is, what it really means to be a church like the church at Jerusalem. Let's remember what we learned in this lesson. One, the Jerusalem vision is not of a mother church, but an exemplary church. Two, the Jerusalem vision is not having 10,000 members, but having constant and unlimited growth. 3. The Jerusalem vision is not getting enough hired hands to work, but having all hands working. 4. The Jerusalem vision is not having 12 evangelists, but having the workers that are needed. 5. The Jerusalem vision is not becoming a huge, cold corporation, but becoming a closer knit family. 6. The Jerusalem vision is not communism, but sacrificing to make the church successful. 7. The Jerusalem vision is not being problem-free, but being committed to overcoming problems. If you have any questions about the Jerusalem church, about the Franklin church, or any other aspect of serving God, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website, www.FranklinChurchOfChrist.com. If someone gave you this lesson, may I invite you to go to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you may download, both in outline and audio format. You're free to use those in any way that you believe will honor and glorify God and draw people closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.